0: I want to tell you the story of a man by the name of Michael Sexton. Michael was a 58-year-old man from Colorado, and he read a book called The Thrill of the Chase by an eccentric and controversial art dealer named Forrest Fenn. In this book, Forrest Fenn claims that he buried treasure somewhere in the Rocky Mountains and then hid clues within this book. And so Michael Sexton, like around 350,000 other people, thought that he could find this treasure. And so he reads the books, he is, he is confident that he knows exactly the location of this treasure, so confident, in fact, he convinces one of his best friends to come with him on this journey to go to find this treasure. Well, in February of 2020, Michael and his friend head to Dinosaur National Monument, which is on the Colorado-Utah border. And Michael was so certain that he knew exactly where this treasure was that he, they didn't even pack for an overnight camping trip. It was like, we're going to go up the mountain, find the treasure and come back down. Well, Michael's wisdom wasn't so wise. And after a full day of searching, they lost their bearings and eventually got lost on the mountain. And if it wasn't for a rescue team, they would have lost their lives. Now you would think Michael learned his lesson, but he didn't. After about a month of recovering from that first incident, he decides he's going to go again and look for this treasure. And he actually convinces his friend again to come with him. So this is either the most loyal friend ever or the most naive friend ever. So they go up, and in March of 2020, they, take out, they set out from Denver with nothing more than some candy bars, a few bottles of water, a copy of Fenn's books, and clothes on their back. Just outside the park, they decide to rent snowmobiles. They head up the mountain. It becomes dark. They don't return. And so the guy that rents snowmobiles calls the authorities. After a four-day search, they find Michael and his friend in almost the exact same location the first time. But unfortunately, Michael didn't survive this time. Friend, friend made it out. Michael didn't. I wonder, how often have you been so convinced that your wisdom was right but in the end, you looked foolish. How often have you been so convinced that the wisdom you follow, the wisdom you bet your life on, the wisdom that you think is going to lead to life actually ends up leading you to foolishness? Now, look, I know none of us wake up in the morning going, you know what? Today, I plan like looking a fool. Like, I want to fail in everything that I do. I want to look like a fool in all the front of my friends and family and coworkers. Nobody wakes up wanting to do that. But yet, how often do we chase wisdom that we think is going to lead to life? Wisdom, we're convinced, is actually wise, will actually lead to success, wisdom that will actually last. But in the end, it's foolishness. This is the point that the Apostle Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians 3, 18 through 20. And so these verses actually serve as somewhat of a summary of all that we've seen Paul writing in these first three chapters of 1 Corinthians Uh, Through these first three chapters, he's been deconstructing the Corinthians' love affair with worldly wisdom and deconstructing the way that that wisdom has influenced their life in the church. And and, then so Paul is now going to confront them with sort of the same idea, but actually add another layer to this. He's going to sort of bring this into a sort of a deeper sense of recognizing the effect worldly wisdom has. And here is what he's going to confront them with in these verses, And There's sort of a question that's kind of implicit in this. Hey, hey, do you want to be truly wise? Do you want to avoid being a fool when all is said and done? You want to follow and be shaped by wisdom that really lasts, that really leads to life? Then you need to do something very important here. You need to become a fool. Do, Do you want to experience wisdom that leads to life? Then you have to become a fool. First City Church do you want to follow and be shaped by wisdom that lasts, wisdom that is true, wisdom that is good, wisdom that is of God, then we need to become fools. We need to become fools in order to become wise. That's the main point this morning. That, 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 that's the point that I want to drive home. That's what 1 Corinthians three eighteen through 20 calls us to, become a fool in order to become wise. So let's Walk through these verses and look at what the Apostle Paul is pointing us towards. In verse 18, he makes this stark declaration, let no one deceive himself. So in a sense, he's, he's saying this, hey, after everything that I've written about the empty, powerless, anti-gospel nature of worldly wisdom, after everything that I have been writing about maturity and unity, after everything that I've written about leadership and what it means to build on Christ and with Christ, don't deceive yourselves. Don't lie to yourselves about where wisdom can be found. So in high school, my best friend and I had this sort of running joke that we would do anytime we saw somebody walking down the street or, or we were maybe in a mall or somewhere that you could just tell thought too highly of themselves. And you know the type. You, you see the person, they're kind of walking around like they're hot stuff. They're, they're walking around like they think they're the, the most attractive or maybe they think that they're most talented or, or whatever it is, but, but there's this sense about them that you're like, hey, the, the way you're carrying yourself and, and the truth just don't really align. And so what my friend and I would do when we'd see this person walk by, we sort of walk by, we'd laugh and we'd kind of mock and we'd go, someone lied to you. But here's the problem. Is, is it that someone lied to that person? Like, like, are they the way they are because their mom told them they were so special? Are they the way they are because they had a friend that just told them, hey, you're the most attractive person, you're the most talented, you're the most intelligent, like, you're the greatest. No. Typically, people are like that because they're lying to themselves. It's not that someone lied to them. They're lying to themselves. Self-deception and look, self-deception, it can be humorous when you see people acting like a fool, but it can also be incredibly dangerous. Look, it wasn't Forrest Fenn's book that caused Michael Sexton's death. It wasn't the, the, that someone said, hey, there's buried treasure in the, mountain, in the Rocky Mountains that caused his death. No, it was his own belief, his own self-deception that he knew exactly where to find that treasure and he didn't need to pack an overnight bag. Like he lied to himself. Self-deception. Look, self-deception is particularly dangerous because it's a deeper form of deception. It's not being deceived by the lies of other people. It's not being deceived by the lies of other voices. It's being deceived by the lie of your own heart. It's being deceived by the lies you will tell yourself because look, we're much more likely to recognize the lies of other people and disbelieve other people than we are to disbelieve our own hearts. We have no problem seeing, hey, other people are wrong, but we never want to admit we're wrong. Self-deception. The Apostle Paul is putting his finger on a deeper problem in this warning. Let no one deceive himself. Because look, as much as worldly wisdom and the lies and deceptions it speaks are a problem, like our own hearts and the lies that we can tell ourselves are an even greater problem. Because our own, our self-deception, we'll blind ourselves. We will blind ourselves, but then we'll also open ourselves up to the deceit and lies of other people. And so it works both ways. It's sort of a double edged sword, self deception. So think about it this way Why do we chase worldly wisdom? Why do we convince ourselves that worldly wisdom and its promise of success and image and power, why do we tell ourselves this is the way to go? This is the, the truth that we should follow. Because worldly wisdom gives us what our hearts desire. Worldly wisdom speaks to the very desires that our sinful hearts cry out for. Like we want success that brings a measure of self-worth and self-importance. Do we not want success that brings comfort and ease? Look, like We want the wisdom that tells us, hey, you can control your life and control your circumstances. But We want the wisdom that tells us, hey, you can self-define your identity and your meaning and your purpose. Like, we want that. And so our hearts cry out saying, hey, I want this. And worldly wisdom says, hey, yo, I can get that for you. Follow me. That's why we are so prone to follow worldly wisdom is because of our own self-deception. And then look, when we get it, when we get the success, when we feel that measure of self-importance and self-worth when we get that comfort and ease or maybe we feel that sense of control over our circumstances, what happens? We start to feel pretty good about ourselves, right? Man, I'm pretty wise. Like, I'm successful. I'm, I'm pretty good at this. I've got this down. Now, now, maybe we're not that arrogant about it and we're not that obvious about it, but anytime you are content with the wisdom of this world, Any time that you sort of set yourself in against somebody else and say, hey, look, I'm doing well in comparison to someone else. Any time you convince yourself that the wisdom of this world is the path that you should follow, that's what you're doing, self-deception. You are are believing yourself to be wise in worldly wisdom. And Apostle Paul says, do not deceive yourselves because here is the truth our self-deception must come to terms with here's the truth that worldly wisdom must come to terms with. As Paul states in verse 19, the wisdom of this world is folly with God. what the world offers is wisdom, what our hearts can tell us is wisdom, God sees as folly. Like God, the creator, the one who has all wisdom in himself, The one who has all power and control. The one who can see all complexity and all contingency. That God sees the worldly wisdom, the wisdom of this world, and all that it offers, all that it proclaims, all that it holds out, and he says, that's foolish. He declares it foolish. He sees through the deception. He sees through the appearances. As Paul writes in verse 20, and this is a quote from Psalm 94, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Like the the Lord knows the futility, the emptiness, the powerlessness of what this world calls wisdom. It's not good. It's not life giving. It's not the truth. Like the Lord knows this. He sees this. He recognizes it's empty. But it's not just that the Lord sees this as folly, God uses the very wisdom of the world. To expose it as foolishness. The the Lord uses the very wisdom of the world to turn around and expose the wisdom of the world as empty and foolish. Again, quoting from an Old Testament book, uh, the Apostle Paul writes in verse 19 that God catches the wise in their craftiness. He's quoting from the book of Job. God catches the wise in their craftiness. This is a picture of a hunter setting a trap, and he uses an animal's craftiness against it. So when Minnie and I lived in Omaha, uh, in our apartment complex, behind our building, there was this small field, and in this field was a colony of feral cats. Good times. (laughs) And if you know anything about feral cats, one day there's three, the next day there's 30. And so, yeah, we had cats just roaming around behind. I think the guys below us, like, fed them. And so, you know, you just, yeah, it was was just a cat colony back there. Once in a while, we'd see these traps and cages kind of set back in the field. And so you had, like, organizations like the Humane Society and others that would catch these cats, they would spay and neuter them, and then they'd release them back into the wild. Well, if you know anything about cats, they're incredibly difficult to trap. And cats are crafty, they're sneaky, they're smart, they're evil, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so what these what what these traps often included was little barriers on the ground and to, to get the cat to tiptoe around the barrier in order to get it to, to, to step on the trigger plate. Because you know, cats, they, they kind of move, they're smooth. And, and they think they see something bad, they'll, they'll move around it, they'll be stealthy. But if you can get a cat to use its craftiness to guide it onto the trigger plate, then boom, you can catch it. Using its craftiness against it. This is the image that the Apostle Paul is using. The Lord catches the wise in their craftiness. Look, through worldly wisdom, you may gain some success. You may gain success. You may gain a sense of self worth and self importance. You may gain a measure of ease and comfort. Like, you may gain a measure of control over your life. You may be able to come up with and self define your meaning and purpose in life. But look, through that worldly wisdom, you will be trapped in a cycle of futility. Like, that success will never be enough, that success will never satisfy, that sense of self worth will so easily crumble. That identity that you have worked so hard to construct, it will be under constant threat because guess what? You're always going to run into somebody who's smarter than you, who's more intelligent, more gifted, someone who appears to be a better parent, has a better home, looks better on Instagram. Like, look, you're going to run into people who feel a threat to your identity, and your identity will feel unstable. You may think that you have control, But in that control, you are wearing yourself out with anxiety and fear and worry, trying to control things that you have no business trying to control and you can't control. Oh, the worldly wisdom may give you a measure of success, but you will be trapped in a cycle of futility. As we think about applying this to the church... As the Apostle Paul has talked about the way that worldly wisdom can influence the church and affect the way that we do community and the way we do ministry, think of this, church, we could gather a group of people if we built around flashy aesthetics and entertainment-driven methods. Uh, Like, we could draw crowds. Uh, We could could create or we could inspire people with great messages that give them this sense that, hey, God's purpose and God's really God's existence is is in order to help them fulfill their purpose in their life but friends, here's what happens. We create emotion with absolutely no true encounter with the living God. Like, through this worldly wisdom, we may gain a measure of success, but we're trapped in futility. We we can create crowds, but not disciples We can create nice, moral people who baptize their chase of the American dream with Jesus, but all the while, they're not living for his glory. They're not dying to self. They're not living for a kingdom purpose. And what did we see two weeks ago? That work, that labor, when it's before the living God burns up as empty and worthless. And so friends, worldly wisdom can give us a certain measure of success, but in the end, God will expose it as futile. God will catch us in it in order to expose us and point out, hey, this is futile. This is powerless. This doesn't lead to life. Do not deceive yourselves. Do not deceive yourselves. What this world chases is wisdom. is not wisdom, it's foolishness. What your heart too often cries out for is not wisdom, it's foolishness. Hey, friends, can we not be spiritual Michael Saxons convincing ourselves of the wisdom of this world all the while running headlong for destruction and despair? Let us not deceive ourselves. So how does this happen? How how do we move away from the self-deception and the destruction of worldly wisdom? Well, Paul makes it very clear in verse 18. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Like, do you want to experience true wisdom? Become a fool. Do you want to experience true wisdom? Then turn away from what this world calls wisdom and turn towards what this world calls foolish, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Look, the world is going to tell you it's foolish not to chase success that brings self-worth and self-importance. The world is going to tell you it's foolish not to grab for comfort and ease. The world's going to tell you it's foolish not to define your own identity and not to define your own meaning and purpose. The world is going to tell you it's foolish not to try to grab control and make things happen in your life. But here's what Jesus Christ says, the one who loses his life will gain it. Look, Friends, the world is going to tell you it is foolish to follow a lowly Jewish carpenter who lived 2,000 years ago and was strung up on a Roman cross But here's what the Apostle Peter declared. Where else can we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. You are eternal life. Because in the death of Christ, up on that cross, he accomplished salvation for us. And in his resurrection life, we have resurrection life set free from self deception and this worldly wisdom. You want to be wise, become a fool. Uh, become a fool by turning from what our world calls wisdom and turn to the foolishness of the cross. And this is what this looks like it means turning from our sin and our selfishness and our pride and turning to Jesus for our salvation and our forgiveness and our hope and our joy and our peace. It means turning from our own strength and our own power and turning to the Holy Spirit and depending upon His power that renews us and transforms us. Do you get the essence of becoming a fool? It's humility. It's humbling ourselves before God, humbling ourselves when we turn from self and we turn to Christ. But friends, here's what happens when we do that. Here's what here's what happens when we become fools in the eyes of this world. Though the world may mock, though the world may scoff, though the world may say that we're idiots that the world may call us names, and the world would think we're completely out of our minds, when we become fools, here's what happens. We experience life, real life, life, eternal life, abundant life that includes hope and joy and peace in Jesus. We experience real forgiveness, not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, but because God is faithful and God saves We experience real love from God, not not fake, empty emotion, but real love from God. Again, not because we've earned it or deserve it, but because God is faithful. He, he, He comes after us with his covenantal love, and he grabs hold of us, and he says, you are mine, love that lasts, love that is unfading and undying, faithful love. We experience that when we become fools We experience an identity that you don't have to strive to create or selfishly protect, an identity given to you in Christ, son of God, daughter of God. Like when we become fools, what do we get? We get a community not built on our race or nationality or political views, not built on our socioeconomic class or because we all educate our kids the same way. No, a community built in Jesus. Community that's done, sorry, <laughs> done trying to perform for one another, done trying to be, compete with one another, but a community that just loves each other, serves each other, lifts each other up, and gives themselves that others may know Jesus. When you become a fool, that's what you get. When you become a fool, you get real, lasting rest. You you don't have to strive and fight and worry and be anxious and toil. After things you can't control, you can rest in the love and sovereignty of God. You can rest knowing that Christ is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. When you become a fool, you can experience real comfort. And not from burying it with pleasure, not, not, not from burying it with work and in trying to success and wealth, not, not burying it with activity, but comfort because Jesus is with you, God is with you, the Spirit is with you. That's what you gain when you become a fool. When you become a fool, you experience real power, not because of your own skill or your education or your intelligence, not because of your personality, but from power from the Holy Spirit, power that allows you to be fruitful as you work and labor in your home and in the world. When you become a fool, you, be, you achieve real purpose, not to live for yourself, but for the kingdom. It's to, to make God glorious, to make God known in this world, and to make disciples. And here's the promise for us, that as you work with Christ, as you build on Christ and build with Christ, your work will last and it will be rewarded. That's what you gain when you become a fool. Friends, let us become fools in order to become Wise. No matter if the world mocks us, laughs, scorns, thinks we're idiots, no matter if the world can't understand why we would give our lives away, let us become fools because we know in becoming fools, we experience life in Jesus, who is true wisdom. So let me ask you this morning again have you become a fool? Are you chasing a worldly wisdom that ends in foolishness? Are you becoming a fool in order to become wise in a wisdom that lasts, a wisdom that is true, a wisdom that brings true life? If you have never turned from your worldly wisdom, if you've never become a fool, God holds out this foolishness for you that you may become wise and know Christ. This morning, you can become a fool in order to become wise. But for those of us that have become fools, those of us that follow Christ, here's what God says to us this morning. Don't go back. Don't go back to that worldly wisdom that is empty and futile. Don't go back to that, that worldly wisdom that will trap you in futility and does not bring life, does not bring you closer to me, does not bring true fruitfulness and life and joy and peace. No, be a fool and continue to be a fool. Keep being a fool in Christ. Keep looking to Jesus for your wisdom. Keep looking to Jesus for your life and your identity and your community and your power and your comfort and your hope and your purpose. Become a fool again and again and again. Day after day after day, become a fool. Church, first city, can we become fools for Christ? Can we become fools in order to become wise And in that wisdom, carry the gospel to our city and to our world. Let us become fools in order to become wise. Let's pray.